Well, how y'all doing this morning? You ready for a good time? Well, I hope you've already been having a good time. You know, last week, we preached a message to you called From Condemnation to Confidence. And we've been preaching out of 1 John chapter 5 that says, Now this is the confidence that it, we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Now, this is just an amazing piece of scripture, and there's many other ones like this in the New Testament, where it says if you come to God and you find it in his word, you can ask him for it, and he will give it to you, no questions asked. Now, some people find that hard to believe, but as we went over last week, God is not someone who can lie. It also says that when he spoke his word, it went forth to accomplish what he intended it to do. He also said he's not like a man that he can change his mind. So if he wrote it down like this, he didn't change his mind in the last 2,000 years. He still meant it. And so here John, the, the apostle of love, uh, Jesus' closest disciple, hey, this is now, he's about 95 years of age at the point when he's writing this, this epistle. And he's reflecting back on his life, and he's trying to get across to the church that's living in his day the most important things they need to remember. And this is one of the last things he says in this book. You can have confidence in God that if you ask anything according to his will. Everybody say anything. anything. Sometimes we limit God by limiting our expectations. If he said it in his word, that's his will for you. If he said he would supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, that's his will for you. Not some of your needs, or not one every decade, or one every century. He said, if you ask anything according to his will, and the thing is, his word is his will. So if you can find it in his word, you can go to him and say, God, your word says this. And so according to your word, I ask for that, and I receive it in faith right now in Jesus' name. I thank you, it's done. He will do it. Now, we said that this, confidence is a feeling or a belief that one can rely on someone or something. It is a firm trust. You know, have you ever had someone in your life that you could just completely depend on? You knew that if you were going through a hard time, that they would be there 100%. That they would do whatever needed to be done to support you. You know, God can be that person in your life. You can firmly rely on him. You can trust that what he said he did, he actually did. And the thing, we have to be confident in all of God's word and not just some of his word. You know, most of us are confident. If I asked you, have you received Jesus into your life and you said yes, you would be confident that you're going to heaven when you die. Most people are confident in those things, but if I were to say, okay, you, I see you have some needs in your life. Do you know that if you ask God, he'll give to you? 99% of people go, oh, I'm not so sure about that. Well, I have to tell you this morning that it's not based upon your experience in your natural life. It's based upon the word of God. And so maybe you haven't applied the word like you should have in the past. That's okay. You can apply it today 
and see things done in your life. Because God's intention was not for you to wait until heaven to experience his blessings. He poured out his blessings here today in Jesus already on in the inside of you. What was Jesus' prayer with his disciples? Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so many people are waiting to heaven to experience God's blessings when God said, I'm sending heaven to earth so that you can have it now. You don't need God's blessings when you've already passed out of all the trials of life. You don't need God's comfort when you've gone to the place where there's no more tears or sorrow. You don't need God's supply when you reach the place that has golden streets and everything that you could ever imagine is there. You don't need God's healing in your body when you get to a place when there's no sickness or destruction or disease. You don't need God's blessings in those areas later. You need them now. And so he has provided for them now. But this is, it says, now this is the confidence that we have in him. Our confidence is, is not in our ability to believe. It's not in our ability to produce. It's not in our ability to make things happen. It's our confidence in his ability and in him. Our confidence doesn't come from our ability to fix the problem. You ever been a, met, met a fixer? Maybe you are a fixer. And whenever something happens, you're just trying to, well, how do I make this better? And it becomes a big eye circus. Your faith in God is not based upon what you can do. It's not based upon your ability to change the situation, and it's definitely not based upon your ability to provide. You know that he can go above and beyond what you can produce in a day? Do you know that your job is not your source? And if you've made it your source, you need to change it? Yes, we should all work. Paul said, if you don't work, you don't eat. But do you know that God is not limited to your job? So we need to stop limiting our thinking based upon our job. Because he, though that may be one source he'll use, he has a million other sources he can get to you. And things that you've never even thought of, you've never even opened up your mind to the possibility of, he can bless you through. It doesn't come from our faith. It comes from our faith in his provision that he has already spoken. So last week we told you that in John 3 it says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God, and whatever we ask, we receive for him, from him. So we know that the thing that short-circuits our confidence is condemnation. But you know that condemnation does not come from God. Condemnation here, it says, if our heart. That means it's possessive of you. It's yours, not his does not condemn us. And the place of the heart here is the word cardia, which is our thoughts and our passions. So where do we short-circuit our confidence? Right up here in our thinking. And the word condemn that he uses there is the word katayonosko in the Greek, which means to find fault with, to blame, to accuse, or condemn. Have you ever found fault with yourself? Have you ever blamed yourself for something? Have you ever accused yourself of something? Have you ever condemned yourself? Have you ever found fault with God? Oh, come on, don't be holy. I'm sure there's been situations you went through and you said, God, why? God, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do... And you looked at God and you... 
Condemnation does not come from God. Condemnation originates in us, in our thoughts, in what we think about the situation. So condemnation comes from something you believe about God or yourself. You can think yourself not worthy. God, I'm just not worthy for you to give. Now, we don't often use those words, but we do it in our actions. And we don't ask God because we don't think he'll actually do it because, well, why would he do that for me? Well, it doesn't matter what your life has been like till this point. You can change that line of thinking. And so if condemnation comes from something you believe about God or yourself, confidence comes the same way. It comes based upon what you believe about God. And if you believe what the word says, that the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever, or you believe that he has made you an overcomer according to his word, that he always causes you to triumph in Christ Jesus, or a great verse that I was thinking about this morning, I was meditating and I was getting ready. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Amen. So maybe you feel like you're in the place of many afflictions. That's okay. He delivers you from them all. Can he deliver you this morning? Can he make a change? Good. So we ended last week this way. Hebrews 10.35 says, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. So how do we lose our confidence? The devil doesn't take it from you. Your neighbor doesn't steal it. Your spouse doesn't steal it. Your kid doesn't steal it. The only way to lose your confidence is to throw it away. Meaning your confidence is dependent upon what you do with it. And so this morning, I want to start out of Ephesians chapter 3. And in verse 12, it says this. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. And that's, oh, great, yes, because of our faith, Lord, we can come boldly before you. We can come right now and get what we need. But you know, Paul had another verse after that. He said this. So please don't lose heart because of my trials. So this morning, I want to preach a message to you called, Keep the Faith, Maintaining Your Confidence in the Midst of the Storm. You ready for this? Why don't you join me over in 1 Kings chapter 17. You know, we got to talk about trouble because everybody has it. So we need to know how to handle ourselves as we go through it. Because that's the thing, is you're, you're going through it, right? You're not making it your home. You're not setting up camp. I love what the, the Psalm 23 says. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. He knew he wasn't staying there. And some of us have accepted that this is just how my life is going to be. We've made our home in the valley of despair rather than on the mountain of faith. So we need to know how to walk through. Say, I'm going through. So we're going to look at somebody in the Bible this morning who had to go through quite a few trials in a short period of time. And that man is the prophet Elijah. Now in 1 Kings 17.1, it starts this way. Now Elijah, who is from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab. Let's just stop there. That's all we know about Elijah. We don't know where he came from other than Gilead. We don't know who his parents, we don't know what his history has been to this point, other than that here he is standing before the king, who's Ahab, and he says this, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, 
the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. So we know that here, Elijah has to be a confident man. He's standing up before the king saying, you know what, king? I'm doing it by my command. There'll be no rain or dew in this land until I tell you. He's got a bit of confidence. He's walking before the head of the nation and telling him exactly how it's going to be and letting him know exactly who's in charge. And by the way, Ahab, it's not you. So we don't know if Elijah and Ahab have even spoken before this point. This could be their first interaction. And regardless of what their history was, whether there was one or wasn't one, we know that Elijah knew that he was the one in charge and not Ahab. What happens when there's no rain? There's no food that is grown. The rivers and the reservoirs begin to drain. Supplies become scarce and people begin to lack. And so with one verse, Elijah just became the most unpopular person in the land. Gotta love confidence sometimes, right? <laughs> but I thought it sets me up for victory every time. You gotta walk through the process. So Elijah, he tells the king, no rain. Verse 2 says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go east and hide. <laughs> Why did he need to hide? Because he's unpopular. Hide by the Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So we know that the king's lack of rebuttal tells us that he had no confidence in the word of the Lord. Because really, if he did and he understood the consequences, he would have said, no, please, Elijah, don't do this. Go, please, talk to God on our behalf. We repent, we, we, we change, please let it rain. But we know the king said nothing. God's next words were to Elijah, not the king. So the king had no confidence in the word of the Lord. But here's the question we need to ask. Did Elijah have confidence in the word of the Lord? Last time I checked, ravens don't drop ribeyes on your table. Right? Ravens are not the delivery system of food. What are ravens? They're scavengers. They consume everything they find. They eat garbage. They'll eat any scraps of food you drop on the floor. And now Elijah, based upon the word of the Lord, is having to trust. Do ravens bring food for me? God, you sure about this? You're wanting me to go hide in the wilderness and expect that a bird is going to deliver me meat. You got to understand, there was a big thing that God was asking Elijah to do. Run away from your supply systems. You will not be in the temple with the other priests eating the food with them, being provided for. He was asking Elijah to walk away from every source of natural income and to trust him that he could change the nature of a raven. What has God said to you? Sometimes we have to remember that even if it sounds contrary to nature, God is not bound by nature. Are we not talking about the same Jesus who walked out on water? Last time I checked, uh, have you done that? 
And when it's frozen, <laughs> God didn't need the winter. So Elijah did as the Lord told him. And he camped beside Cherith Brook, east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. So Elijah did what God told him to do, and the ravens did what God commanded them to do, and there was a, a major amount of trust. You've got to think, well, that happened one day. Will it happen two? Will it happen three? Will it happen a year? And God kept providing. However improbable it may seem in the moment, God's word is always true. And that's a great part of the story. God supplied Air Raven delivery system. Birds, you can drop off some stuff at my house anytime. Now, God commanded them to do it in this situation. And whatever God commands to happen, happens. His word does not change. It does not return void unto him. Then we reach verse number seven, which says, but, isn't that like situations to throw a but in the way? After a while, the brook dried up, and there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Isn't that what happens in a drought, though? Water sources begin to drain. And so what had sustained Elijah for a period of time was no longer providing. And sometimes we get so caught up in how God did it in the past, we think that he's going to do it that way forever. And sometimes we have to let go of the old good things to prepare for the new better. Then the Lord said to Elijah, that's important, because when life throws you a curveball, you go back to the batting coach. Figure out how to hit it. So we know where Elijah went. Hey, God, that stream's getting mighty small. Can't even get my cup down in it to fill it up with any water. What do you want me to do? The Lord said to Elijah, whenever you don't know what to do, your first spot should be go back to him. Because one, God could supernaturally cause the river to flow again. Two, he could do something new. But that's up to him, right? The Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So once again, Elijah is faced with the improbable. Why is it improbable? We're in the middle of a drought. It's been going on for some time now. It lasted three or four years, so we're thinking we're in the middle of the drought at this point. The rivers are drying up. There's a lack of supply. God, you want me to go to a widow who doesn't even have a husband to help her in the hardest time that's going on in recent history? God, you want me to send, you want to send me to someone who has no supply? You know, a lot of us would be happy here if God said, go to the rich man on the hill who's still got a full barn and has got a deep well that's still got water in it. But that's not what God told Elijah to do. He said, go to the widow. We don't know if Elijah's been to Zarephath before. We don't know if he knows a widow there. So he's completely having to trust God at his word to go. So... He went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, 
he saw a widow gathering sticks. So he's being obedient, so he just assumes, the first widow I see, this must be the one. God told me to come. Here's a widow. Might as well be her. And he said to her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a little bite of bread too. So Elijah is walking out the process. God told him, I have commanded a widow to provide for you. So God had already told him, I've talked to the widow. She's going to provide for you. So Elijah is walking out the process. And sometimes you just got to follow the details you know and not worry about the ones you don't. Elijah's not saying, how is this woman going to provide for me? How is she going to supply this need that I have? I don't want to die in the drought like everybody else. He's not asking those questions. He's walking out and trusting God in the moment with what he knows. You don't need to know everything. You just need to know what he told you. And the rest takes care of itself. So he says, bring me a little water in a cup. And bring me a little bite of bread too. But, oh, there's life throwing a butt back in there again. He, she said, I swear by the Lord your God, I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. You got to think what Elijah's thinking here. God, the ravens were good. The brook was good while it lasted. You said, come to a widow. She'll feed me. She ain't got no food. The situation is not looking good here. But I'm following God, right? Everything should just be awesome all the time. I'm following God. The widow ain't got no food. Gets better. And I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug, and I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. God, she ain't got no food, and she's not going to be here next week. Surely you've sent me to the wrong place. Zarephath? Did you not mean Jerusalem? Maybe Bethsaida. Oh, I'll even take Nazareth at this point, Jesus. She's got no food, and she's got no future. Elijah's thinking about his needs. Is he? Or is he thinking about what God has told him? He said, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. Elijah's holding fast to the word of the Lord. So, at this point, Elijah has faced two butts from situations unexpected. So you know what you do when the world sticks its butt in your face? You give it your own butt. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said. Make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left and prepare a meal for yourself and for your son. He's modifying what she's about to do. She's thinking, let's make this last bun, let's eat it, and let's die. And he's thinking, well, you're going to die anyways. Give a little bit to me first. And he says, for this is what the Lord God of Israel said. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. 
he showed her another way. You know, God had already commanded her to feed him, right? She didn't see how that was going to happen. You know, there's people around you that are struggling, and God has good things he wants to do for them, but sometimes they need a little help along the way. So Elijah could have taken this opportunity to say, God, you got the wrong woman. She's got no food. They're going to die. Send me somewhere else, God. Come on. Sam, surely there's someone else. But no. Elijah looks at the situation, and he says, don't be afraid. You'll always have flour. You'll always have olive oil. Elijah's having to speak in faith here. She's got no flour, and she's got no oil. You know, we can become so need-focused that we miss the seed that God has placed in our hand. We know that 2 Corinthians says that God gives seed to the sower and bread for those who eat. He will take your seed and multiply it so that it gives many thank yous and hallelujahs to God. That's the message translation. God will always give you seed, and we're saying, God, give me my need. Fill the need, and he's saying, that's okay. All you needed was the seed, and you've already got it in your hand. For what you need tomorrow, I'm telling you, you already have today. You know, I remember uh, Jerry Savelle telling this story. It's probably about 25, 30 years ago now. His ministry was expanding at a really fast rate, and he was having all these needs. They were building a new building to house their offices and their warehouse for all their product. And he was like, God, we, we need to set some time. I have to talk to you about some things. And he was about to fly to Tulsa, Oklahoma from Texas, from Dallas, Texas. And uh, he's like, okay, I've got a few minutes here on the plane. It's about a 45-minute flight from there. He's like, i got a few minutes. God, I have these needs. And as soon as he started to tell God about his needs, God said, when you get to Tulsa, I want you to give away your van. And he said, uh, <laughs> sorry, God, let me start again. I've got all these needs... And then he got interrupted by the stewardess, and then the guy beside him started talking, and he finds himself in Tulsa, and he's like, God, we didn't get to talk about my needs. So he gets to the hotel, he's got a few minutes to prepare before the service, and he said, okay, God, i got to talk to you about these needs. I need... And then God says, when, now that you're here, I want you to give away your van. And he said, God, I, I'm trying to tell you what I need right now. And God said to him, he said, you keep trying to talk to me about your need, and I keep telling you what seed you have. I want you to give away your van while you're here, and there are five ministers that you're going to come in contact with who are discouraged, and they're about to leave the ministry. I want you to take them out and buy them a brand new suit, each one of them. And he said, so when do we talk about my needs? And God says, we don't need to talk about your needs. I know you have them. I'm telling you what your seed is. And so he walked out the process and he gave away his van. He gave them, found these five ministers. He gave them new suits. And he said, by the time he finished that meeting, he left so blessed, he bought a new car. He was able to finish building his office. He was able to finish doing the, the, the warehouse. And he had no lack. And he's like, God. He's like, every time I will give you a seed. Walk out the process. How do you view your need? There's one way we can do it, and that something's missing. That's a lack mentality. But we know that we serve a God in whom there is no lack. So we don't look at it as this is a problem when you have a need. We look at it as 
this is an opportunity to prosper. And that is a confidence mentality. God sent Elijah to the widow of Zarephath, not just for Elijah, but also for the widow's sake. And so they walked through the process. She did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. And there was always, everyone say always, enough flour and olive oil left in the containers just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. It doesn't matter how dire the situation is when God says this is how it will be. Go ahead, walk the process, and it will be as exactly as he said it would be. And so Elijah and the family get to eat for many days. They're not dead. That's a good place to start, right? They're still in a drought, but they're not dead, at least now. Then we get to verse 17. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick, and he grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Oh my goodness, God, can we not just have one sustained victory for a little while here? First the brook dries up, then the widow's got no food, she's got plans to die, God comes through supernaturally, and the woman's son dies. Then she said to Elijah, oh, I'm so glad you've come, Elijah. No, no, she said, oh man of God, what have you done to me? You've come here to point out my sins and kill my son. She's already forgotten the blessing they just walked through. Never forget what God has done. Because he'll do it again. So, Elijah, he's been through this situation before, right? So what does he do? He puts his own butt in it. But, Elijah replied, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms... And he carried him upstairs to the room where he was staying, and he laid the body on his bed. And he stretched himself over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. God makes a way where there seems to be no way, and even if you think that I'm at the end, God decides when's it's the end and not you. So Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God. And the Lord truly speaks through you. What? The flour and oil wasn't enough? But you know what? Confidence breeds confidence. The first miracle got her going. The second Miracle took her all the way. Walk the process and let your confidence remain in God. But you know, Elijah needed these victories to build his confidence for what was to come. You not think he's been through enough? No. Right after this, God takes him back to Ahab. Takes him to the very problem going on in the nation and that is that they've left God and they've turned to the, the God of Baal. And so God sends Elijah to confront 400 prophets of Baal. They set up two altars. He challenges them to a battle. He said, you 
call down fire from heaven and consume your altar, and I'll do mine. And whoever wins, we know whose God is the best. And so the 400 prophets of Baal, they set up their altar, and they cry out for many days, and they cut themselves, and they're like, come on, burn this thing down. I don't got much blood left in my arms. I'm making a joke. Nothing happens. Elijah, his turn comes. He says, you know what? We're in the middle of a drought. My altar's looking a little dry. Why don't you get me a bunch of jugs of water and soak that wood until it's saturated? He's wasting their biggest commodity. <laughs> They're in a drought. But Elijah's got confidence because he's been walking the process. He knows that when God says it, he means it and that it will be done. So they soak that altar as much as they can. They dig a trench around it. They fill it up with water. And Elijah stands back and says, God, I've done what you said. And God burns that thing, consumes up all that water. You don't know today where God is leading you tomorrow. But what I do know about your today is your act of faith and confidence is leading you to another one, and another one, and another one. Which is why Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and the just live by faith. If you have needs, if you have situations going on, today's faith is all you need. And it will lead you to tomorrow's faith, which will lead you to the next day's faith to the next month's faith, to the next year's faith. But we never pass up an opportunity to stand in faith. So back to John 1, or 5, 1 John 1, 5, 5, my goodness. It says, this is the confidence or the faith we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we have asked of him. You can have confidence in the Word of God. Your situation is subject to the Word of God, not the Word of God subject to your situation. So what do you need to do? Take the Word. Use your faith. Ask God and stand back and let Him work. Hebrews 10.35 said, Don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will and then you receive all that he has promised. Elijah had to endure. He had to trust that the ravens would come. He had to trust that the widow would survive. He had to trust that there would be flour every day. There was oil every day. I don't know what it is that you need to be trusting God in. Maybe you're being attacked in your body. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's here in your emotions. It doesn't matter what the attack is. Whatever the need, God's already provided. So why don't you go ahead and stand up with me this morning? I don't know your situation, but you know your situation. And so right now, we're going to pray. 
and we're going to talk to God. Right? Father, we come before you right now. We know that there's no situation that you cannot turn. We know that there's no need that you can't provide. We know that there's no body that you cannot heal. We know that there's no mind that you can't restore. And so, Father, right now we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we ask for you to provide whatever the need may be. We ask for you to let there be restoration in our bodies, in our minds, in our finances, in whatever the situation may be. And we receive it now in Jesus' name, and we thank you for it. Hallelujah. Give you glory in this place, Lord. Hallelujah. We thank you that your word is true, that we ask and you give. And so we count it as done right now in Jesus' name. Let's sing that, Tove. Just as I am, I come. Hallelujah. Oh, what amazing love. Thank you, Jesus. Just as I am. So, Father, we thank you that the ravens of our need are on their way now. We thank you that it is done. And we give you glory in Jesus' name. Well, maybe you're in this place this morning, or maybe you're watching via the Internet, and you haven't started that relationship with God. You can't have your needs supplied by a God you don't serve. And so the first starting point is come to Jesus. Come just as you are. He's waiting with open arms. And so how we do it around here, we just go ahead and we pray. Everyone's going to pray with you, and we just open our hearts to receive Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gift he gave. And right now, Jesus, we receive you. We call you our Lord. We call you our provision. We call you all that we'll ever need. prayed that prayer with us this morning, whether in this building or on the internet, you are now a child of God. And He has a great plan for you. He has a great future for things you're going to walk in. He's here to provide whatever you need. And if you prayed that prayer with us on the internet there, please get in contact with us. We'd love to get you hooked up with a good church. And if you're in the area, we say, here we are. We're a great church welcoming you. And we thank you for joining us this morning. You guys have a wonderful week. We'll see you soon.